Teaching Python, Episode 5, Building Resilience. This is Sean. And this is Kelly. Welcome, everyone. So, Kelly, how are you this afternoon? It's the last full day before winter break. How are you holding up? Oh, well, I'm, I'm resilient. <laughs> <laughs> what's, your, what's your favorite thing to do on a long break as a teacher? On the long break? Oh, I have all my books ready to go. I like to go to the beach and actually dive into some books that I've been putting off during the the work weeks to try to check off some of those books from my book list. How about you? I also have a pile of books ahead of me. I also have probably three different coding projects right now that I want to tackle over the break just to catch up on a few things. And then I'm also looking forward to spending time with my family. Oh, that sounds like a nice restful time for teachers. That's right. So just a, a quick reminder of who we are. So my name is Sean Tiber. I am a coder who recently became a teacher. And I'm Kelly Schuster Paredes. I'm a teacher who is becoming a coder. <laughs> <laughs> right. So today we're going to be talking about resilience and how do you build resilience with your students? And why is that important? So what we'll be talking about today are some ways to build resilience. We're going to explore that topic and some ways that we've seen it manifest itself in our classroom. And we're going to dig into what we can do to make that part of your part of your lesson and part of your curriculum. And I, I really love this topic because regardless if you teach computer science or physics or math or history, this topic about building resilience in a student, in a child, is applicable for any curriculum. So... I think this is a really important topic, especially for middle school teachers. I think middle school is really all about resilience, (laughs) both for our students and the teachers. So let's start. What do we mean by resilience? Like what, when I think of resilience, I think of a number of different words that I've heard. Grit, Mm -hmm. determination. Perseverance, bounce back. Right. Picking yourself up and dusting yourself off after failing. Yeah. Okay to fail. You know, understanding failure. So why is that important, Kelly? How have you seen the importance of failure as part of your teaching? You know, it's so interesting. It's an interesting topic to me. I really like this idea of resilience. We often equate failure to a grade. We, at least in computer science, we try to, to omit that idea that a failed code or a failed program is a grade and that the the true grade is being able to stick to coding. I think if it's something that's too challenging, kids tend to not do it. And that's something we don't want. Yeah, I think that's a really hard connection to overcome. In our grading system, F stands for failure. Yep. And so no one wants to fail because no one wants that F on their report card. Nobody wants to have that uncomfortable conversation with their parents to see to say, why did you get an F in this class? Mm -hmm. And so the biggest thing that we start off with is helping our students understand that we want them to fail in our class, Mm -hmm. but we don't want them to fail our class. Exactly. Exactly. So what's the first thing or the first goal of building resilience in computer science and in in your course? And. Any course, regardless of computer science, you need to get to know your kids quick. You have to really find out about their beliefs, their abilities, and you need to know which buttons you can push. Because when you're coding, every child's going to have a different pressure point. And if you know which students tend to say I'm not capable or I'm not good enough or have a fear of failing, you can 
strategically place them with another child who is a little bit more confident in failing or confident with challenges. So I think for me is just to know about their their abilities, their beliefs, and, and know where you can push them. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, and one of the things that I've seen is being able to know the difference between a student who's a perfectionist, who wants everything to work perfectly the first time, and a student who's just not confident. Because mm-hmm. they really have different needs and motivations. While the end result may be that they're afraid of failure, what's motivating that fear of failure is very different in each case. And one of the things I think is particularly challenging about the environment that we teach in, we teach with an open grade book. Mm-hmm. So that not only can the students see their grades as they're being entered, so can their parents. Yeah. And so some of our parents can be a little bit you know, intense about performance and about grades on an assignment by assignment basis. So some of our education also has to be about not just the child, but the environment that they're in, including their parents and helping their parents understand and understand the motivations that we're trying to to work with for our students. Yeah, and I think having having a, an F in the grade book or a lower grade, in our cases sometimes a C, a, a lower grade in the grade book, that the kids can actually continue to do positive things and make up that F grade. I think that really makes a lot of sense, that we have to change behavior and beliefs, not just with the students, but also with their environment. What types of behaviors are you looking to encourage from that student that help shift their overall attitude towards resilience and failure? There's two of them, and we'll start with the first one. I really think that we have to embrace the mistakes. When we celebrate, you know, the the oops, the things that go wrong— and we joke about it and we make light that, oh, okay, you didn't get it right now, but go back, go back to your seat, try it again and talk about it. And one of the ways that I've found that that works or that works particularly well is I don't present myself as infallible. Mm. I show that I make mistakes too. And I model the behavior I want to see when mistakes happen. Yeah. So I will reflect upon a lesson at the end and say, this did not work the way that I wanted it to. And here's what I would do differently next time. And here are the things that I'm asking for from you in order to make that happen. Yeah, it's kind of like that mental toughness. It's like that mindset that it's it's something that has to happen in order to grow. I, I tell them the story all the time, you know, how do you think a baby learns how to walk or a toddler learns how to walk? It's like constantly falling down and falling down and getting back up and falling down that helps you to learn how to walk and it's the same thing with learning anything new you're gonna fall down a couple of times and you gotta not make everything a major setback it's just a minor thing and and you even though we see it as a minor thing we have to remind them that they have to probably see it as a minor thing that it's just a tiny little glitch in the road of the big picture one of the things that middle schoolers tend to be bad at but i think humans in general tend to be pretty bad at is estimating the consequences Mm -hmm understanding the size of the consequence that's in front of them. And so we need to practice that with them. We need to show them, here's how this works. So repetition really matters. The more that they practice, the more that they make mistakes and recover from those mistakes, the more information they have to be able to evaluate the consequences of the next mistake. So for example, in Python, if I'm teaching a student about ifs, elifs, and else statements, and they're working on their conditional logic, and that conditional logic doesn't work, it doesn't make sense, it doesn't lead to the behavior that they intended, I can show them how easy it is to change it. 
because usually we're working on something that's relatively simple and low stakes, and there's no real consequence for failure. Yeah, and my former colleague, uh, Michael Lichtenset, would always say, don't blame it on the computer, say the outcome was not what I expected. And just changing that little bit of vocabulary, that sentence, really helps the kids. That's something that we've looked at also. And one of the things that I do when students have something that isn't working is I ask them, what did you want to happen? What was your intent with this code so that we can compare their intent with the outcome? Mm -hmm. So here's what you wanted to have happened. Here's what did happen. Why do you think there's a difference between the two? And then we can go back and find where that gap has happened. Yeah. And that that takes us to to another point of how to build uh, resilience is to teach problem solving skills. We have to resist the urge to fix their problems. I think that's one of the hardest things. I mean, they come with a lot of questions, and it's so easy for, for us just to give them the answers. It's so much harder to turn that question and ask them another question. You have to make it a habit. The habit is to try to give them the answers, and then you turn into that, I'm just a source of, of knowledge for them. Mm-hmm. I find that if I do that, if I'm always just giving them the answer, I become a replacement for Google. Or Alexa. Or Alexa. (laughs) I answer the question with, why do you think that is? Or where could we find that information? Or what would be a good way to search for that? So I turn that back to them so that they're working through the problem-solving process. And that is what really makes this a useful class for them. Because there there are other classes where they experience that. But there's a lot of learning and a lot of education tends to be about that didactic learning between the the instructor and the student where the student is trying to gain as much knowledge as they can from the instructor and not so much focused on building the skills that they need to learn themselves. And you know what? I like to tell them all the time that I'm really not going to answer the questions for you, not because I don't want to help you, not because I want you to struggle well, a little bit of struggle, but not because I'm trying to be mean. I just really want to help teach you the skills of problem solving. Because if you have that problem solving skill, you're going to help them build resilience. Resilience in anything that they try. Yeah, I, I, I've seen that a lot. In fact, just today, I was helping a group of students with some simulation software. And what I found was, as I was going from student to student, helping them understand the part that they were struggling with, Oftentimes, the student who's asking me for help next, in the time that it took me to get there, had figured out the problem themselves. So some of this is just about timing it and giving them the opportunity to struggle a little bit and to find it themselves. And that ability to persevere through the unknown is what helps lead them to truly gaining knowledge because they found it themselves. Absolutely. I think that leads you into after you've taught them to problem solve is kind of setting the expectations and raising the bar. Just when the kids are getting it, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I set the bar there and now I have to raise it again. It's kind of a joke I always have with them that as they approach my my expectations, when they start to meet my expectations, I now have to raise that up because if they if we only keep it at that expectation, then they have nothing challenging to work forward. Yeah, and there's a balance there because you don't want to always keep the goals out of reach Mm -hmm. because then they never feel like they're being successful. You do want to make it so that they achieve the goal, but then you start to stretch them again. I like to put together a realistic goal and a stretch goal. Every time I envision an exercise or an activity, realistically, I expect most of my students to be able to reach this point of their knowledge or success with the activity. But here's where I'd really like to see them get. So as they achieve that 
that realistic goal, I can turn and give them the stretch goal next. A good, a concrete example of this is we were working with Lego EV3 robots the other day, and we were having the students program a navigation through a maze, and they were programming it with distance, move forward for this distance, then turn, then move forward and everything. And once they had achieved that, I said, great, now do it with sensors. So instead of having the predetermined distance, now use the sensors on the robot, the ultrasonic or whatever you want to use in order to achieve the same result, but in a more sophisticated, robust fashion. Yeah, I do that a lot in the five-minute daily challenges. Once they get the challenge, if they get it within the five minutes, then they can take it and add a, a loop statement or see if they can break a break a loop or if they can add a an a input or a random function something to change up that challenge to make it their own instead of the one that I assigned for them and I think that it helps them to realize that you don't just stop when you get it and I, I like I think that goes back kind of to where we are with our grades yeah okay you got it you got an A but how can we take it better how can we make that problem that you just check the boxes and how can you challenge yourself to go a little bit further on it that's where we also get where we start to separate from the grades because if we can praise them for the extra effort for solving the bigger problem for going a step further for exceeding the expectations they then associate their growth and their skill with going above and beyond with finding that additional solution or learning something bigger or something that challenges them more and they get more excited about that. They they love hearing when they're doing something well. And it's not just the binary, I got it or I didn't. It's saying things like, wow, that was really great. I love how you worked through that problem, how you really focused on how to break it down and make it work. And you brought in these other things. You put a lot of effort into that. And I think it really paid off for you. I personally like the high fives and the Mario hats. I do a lot of high fives once uh, students get it. That good feeling of uh, me celebrating with them or with them wearing the Mario or Luigi hats that the students can see that they have achieved my goal for the day or exceeded my goal, I think is really nice. I printed a bunch of 3D printed mustache rings, actually. Thanks Just simple, <laughs> simple little rings with a mustache on it. And those became incredibly popular. Kids were, were really pushing themselves a little bit harder and pushing through some problems that otherwise they would have given up on just to get a mustache ring that took a few minutes to print on the 3D printer. Yeah, and that, that goes back to another point about resilience. There was a point last quarter where almost all the students. It was that six week right before the click happens. There was a moment where everyone, everything was negative. Everything was, I can't do this. This is too hard. And I just came into that classroom and I said, okay, stop. We're not going to do any coding right now. Shut your computers. Let's circle up. And we sat around and we shared some proud moments, things that they were proud of. And I explained to them that here, let's keep things in perspective and let's look at all the things that we have accomplished. Look at all the code that we have written. And I love Tinker because they even told us, it tells us how many lines of code in total all the kids have um, coded. Just sharing those proud moments. Again, another thing, whenever they get down on themselves or they're losing that, that resilient um, aspect is just to come back and let's share the proud moments. Think about something that you're proud of. I think back to when I was first learning how to code. And I think about the first time that I took a computer science course and it was my sophomore year of college and I was on the verge of failing the course. And I think back to that moment and I decided that I wasn't going to fail. 
that I was going to find a way to get through it. And it was hard. And it's problems now. It was a, a problem set that I probably would be able to solve fairly easily now. But I remind myself when I'm teaching that this is not easy. That these are hard things, hard concepts to grasp for the first time. And that sense of, of being on the verge of failure and having to dig deep and find some inner strength to get through it really made a big difference for me. And what I ended up doing was going to the computer cluster and I spent two full days in there, more than 20 hours coding every single problem that would be on the final and solving all the problems and sticking to it and getting through it and making it happen and figuring out what I needed to know in order to be successful on the final. It was hard and I struggled and I couldn't figure it out and I was exhausted by the end of it. But when it came time to do the final, because I had gone through that struggle, I was able to finish the final in half the time with the absolute certainty that I was going to get a passing grade because I knew what I was doing. And for me, that was a turning point. That was my own personal turning point in computer science because if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have had my big click, that moment where everything clicked together and I said, I can do this and I know how to make it work. Yeah, and that's that that balance between what we just talked about was the the mental resilience, that mental toughness, the ability to to motivate yourself to keep going and the practicality of resilience. And I think we've we've learned a couple of tricks. One of the tricks that I do a lot. And I actually picked this up in community college or no, it was at the yeah, community college. It was, I had to take a class at community college because I didn't offer it at my regular college. It was an anatomy course. And I had a, a I forget his name of the college professor, but every single day he would say, repetition, repetition, repetition. That's the only way you're going to pass my class. And he was right. Sometimes those little skills, we just got to remember, we just got to do them over and over again. And that helps us to develop these resilient skills. And so I do the same thing in the classes, doing it over and over, not necessarily repeating the same exact words, but doing user-friendly inputs and doing that challenge and then doing another challenge the next day and showing them that if they use that, that code from the day before, they can solve the problem for today and just strengthening that, that confidence and that mastery. It's interesting. We listened, I think we both or each of us listened to the Talk Python podcast a few weeks ago where one of the founding members of the Microbit team was on there, one of the people who was responsible for bringing MicroPython to the Microbit. And he, I believe, had a musical background. He had been a professional musician and a music teacher before he became a, a computer science teacher. And one of the things that I found fascinating about his approach is that he applies a lot of the same techniques for learning music for learning code. When I think back to learning music and I wasn't wasn't a great music uh, great musician so hopefully <laughs> maybe maybe this is a better metaphor or allegory than it is an actual outcome but when I think about the way you, you learn music there is a progression to it there is a place where you start and there are things that you practice there are sections that you practice there are techniques that you practice there's bad habits that you eliminate through repetition and that act of practicing and repeating and employing it over and over and over again 
really seems to make a difference. And I can't say that it's the same, the same sort of thing where you should write a thousand if statements before you figure it out. It should be, I'm solving problems, and maybe every time I write the next if statement, I have to think through it. But there's a point where I don't have to think through it anymore, yeah. where I know it because I've practiced it and I've repeated it. Yeah, constant progress to build competence. And we define competence in a very specific way. Competence is really confidence built through knowledge mm -hmm. that you know how to do something and that you have a skill that you've built. So it's not confidence based on nothing. It's confidence ba based on proven mastery of an area. And I like to remind the students all the time, sometimes they'll say, well, I don't understand how Mr. Tiber can just write those codes. And I say, well, he's been doing it a long time, but stop. Let's look at the code that he's writing. Can you follow along? Can you read it? And they're like, oh, yeah, I can read it. So that's that building that constant repetition of that code when we do a code along or when we do a daily challenge that we're building and we're progressing to a point where we want them to be. Right. And, and really that point is being literate, really being able to read and understand and follow along with what's happening and feel that they, that they get it. That, and when they don't understand it, how, what te techniques, what tactics can they employ to get back to that place of keeping up and being on top of it and being knowledgeable. And you have a really fun way of helping to build a repetition in your teaching style by helping the kids make connections. We do a, a thing called serious play. And some of that, some of that serious play is about showing them the things that they use every day or that maybe they have the opportunity to use here at school that really help reinforce the concepts. So one of the things that we've done, for example, is we've done a, a robot football game. So we put masking tape down on the carpet and we tape out the field and the students are playing football against each other with the robots or moving, moving the block around. That process of, of working through it and seeing how the movements happen, I find when they're engaged in that gameplay and they're practicing it over and over again, they start to think through problems a little bit different, differently. They start to think about, okay, if I was going to program this to move, how would I do that? What would that look like? Yeah, and they do a lot of uh, connections with our 20% time. I notice the kids that really get engaged with the 20% time projects are the ones that pick something they like. Most of the time it's a gameplay. Um, we have a lot of kids make little soccer or tabletop games or basketball. A couple of my kids are, are looking into force-sensitive resistors in order to, to play some games right now. You had a really cool 20% time project with some girls in a, in a makeup case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It actually came up spontaneously. It was a very organic lesson. Uh, I was working through how instructions are written. So how to create sequential instructions and how to define functions to encapsulate and modularize those packages of instructions. I was going to teach this using Turtle and it was a Monday morning, first period, and I can see everybody in the room is just not really engaged with it. They're not there yet. And maybe if I taught it later in the day, it would be fine. But at that point, I was reading the room and saying, this is not going to go well. One of my students had mentioned something about a makeup artist that they really liked. It was a YouTube makeup artist. I brought those two things together and I said, let's take that makeup artist, for example. His name is James Charles. He's a YouTube makeup artist. In fact, he's the first male cover girl model. So he is, he's very skilled. 
my middle school girls seem to love him. Maybe not across the board, but they know who he is, and many of them really like what he does. And I said, look at what he's doing when he gives you instructions. He's breaking these down into smaller pieces, and then he's rolling it back up. So he might show you how to apply eyeshadow the first time, but then the second time he comes back and he says, okay, now apply eyeshadow. So I said, you can make that connection to coding as well. Why don't we try doing that? So we brought up one of the videos. We started going through that that process and the exercise was I want you to take every single one of his instructions and I want you to write a fake Python function name for it so that you start to think about these actions that he's taking and the instructions that he's giving and think about how you could break that down into a Python program if you had to write it. It was uh, it was kind of funny because I was taking a risk it was going pretty well. The level of engagement suddenly went up. And even you know the boys in the class who were a little bit hesitant about, about watching a YouTube makeup artist, they were at least engaged, right? They were having some sort of, of reaction to this. And while I'm teaching the class, you know, my supervisor came in, the head of the school came in, and they went with this lesson. We made these connections, and it was so powerful for those students that really got into it we started making this a regular occurrence. So every student in my class can recommend a video for Makeup Monday. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be about makeup, but all they have to do is bring a video that they think relates to computer science in some way, and I will turn that into a lesson for us that relates to Python and to computer science. Yeah, and these little things that happen, I think, when you're partway through the coding, making connections, having some fun, I think that's what keeps us having some energy. And this leads into the to the last bit is, is what we talk about, the serious play. We, we take time to play, time to do self-discovery. This opportunity where we say, okay, listen, we're going to close our, our computers or and we're going to look at some of the items that we have in the classroom that use Python or use code in order to work. And let's just have fun. Let's see what happens. I think it really works with us. We bring in a lot of VR. I know you bring in the drones. We have our Anki robots that the kids really love. You have to go back to knowing your kids. When the time is tough, when they're just not having fun in the class. You've got to stop and just give them time to play. That time to play and discover is really vital to this. It relates really closely to our 20% projects that we do where we allow students to choose an individual project and create it because that level of engagement goes up and it changes their purpose and their focus away from, I need to learn this thing that's right in front of me, the function definition or Python lists and dictionaries or whatever the, the lesson is. And it turns it into, I want to do this cool thing. I want to make sneakers that have light ups, light up soles and beat as I move around. And so as I go through that, I'm going to be learning Python lists and dictionaries. I'm going to be making functions. I'm going to be reapplying someone else's code and remixing it to make my own. And that level of play and self-discovery is a huge part of that process because now they're, they've got a different focus. It keeps them engaged and it really changes their determination. They're much more determined and resilient to figure it out because now it's something they really want to do and they're excited about it and it's something that matters to them in a way that maybe they didn't see before when it was just about learning the lesson. It's bringing back that whole child. So maybe it's not the coding or programming where they'll need the resilience, but having them transfer those skills of resilience and in, into other places. 
Well, those are our eight tips for building resilience in a class. There are tons of uh, other suggestions out there for building resilience. I know we're going to list these these top eight tips in our blog at teachingpython.fm. Yeah, and then if you have your own tips for teaching resilience, please feel free to share them with us on Twitter. Our handle is at teachingpython. And you can also reach us individually. I'm at smtiber on Twitter. And I'm at Kelly Pared on Twitter. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Have a wonderful holiday season and a happy new year. And we'll talk to you when we get back. This is Sean. This is Kelly. Signing off.